keep going. Welcome to the Keep Going Podcast. My name is Steve, and I am one of your hosts. In this episode of the Keep Going Podcast, Michael and I discuss some of the implications around a recent episode discussing various aspects of Gen X culture that truly inspired us. You can find links to that particular episode below in the show notes. Um, It's from Howl in the Wilderness, Brian James's podcast, and he is interviewing Eric Davis, the renowned 90s rock journalist who's now turned into uh, author of and around the weird. And he's one of my very, very favorite artists. You can find his content at Burning Shore if you follow Substacks and things like that. Lots of those links are in the show notes below. But we get started on this episode talking about the recent running event here held in Austin. It's a yearly annual event showcasing uh, brands and new products and hullabaloo around the running industry. Super expensive tickets for those people who are coming, um, who are retailers coming for a convention experience. Of course, Austin in December is typically amazing weather. And that did not disappoint. And Michael went. I have not gone in a while because it's a little bit of a crazy scene for me. And I'm kind of now a hermit who's hiding underneath his particular shell. Um, Anyway, all this to say that this episode starts there. But we quickly move into how the running event brought forward this concept we're talking about selling out and we use the late great Anthony Bourdain as a hero of ours as a model as a archetype for not selling out we bow deeply to him and then Michael especially gets hot under the collar around the idea of selling out there's really good stuff here Um, Good luck hanging on to the twists and turns, but stay with us, because I promise there is gold in them there hills. So without further ado, I bring you the episode that we call Anthony Bourdain is not a sellout. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. Addicted isn't the right word, but... there's a great deal. You're like 80, that that person that needs a fidget. Like it's yeah. your fidget. Like I got it. This is all got to wrap this shit up. You I've got to put shit. a bow on. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't tell Steve what my takeaway for the conversation is today, but I've got one. He wants to save it. Yeah. Well, a couple things first as we get started. Number one, good to see you, brother. It yeah. has been way too long. We took a like four weeks, maybe three weeks. Three weeks, I think. We took a break for Thanksgiving. Um, we thought about squeezing something in, but we didn't. And then, uh, the and then we had event. then we had the running event. Um, and now here we are. You know, so it's uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be with you. It seems like it's just been way too long. Agreed. But then I also saw recently that you started cheating on me. 
because you did a little podcast with some other dude. Oh, the tiny bench. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Oh, How God. was that experience? <laughs> the bench, he has this little bench and it's, it it's, cool, it's kind of hilarious. The story is actually pretty marvelous. I'm talking about a friend of mine. His name is Don Reichel and he's an ultra runner. And uh, he's got a little series called Tiny Bench that he's kicking off. And um, and he was at the, the, yeah, the running apparently event. there's this really... Lo- it's kind of a long-winded story about. I'll like, bring it though. We got well, plenty of time. One of these major websites, maybe like I don't know what it, Overstock.com or something like that. Somebody like fraudulently put his address as like the returns address, so he gets all this shit to his wow, house or crazy. something. He was like, "Yeah, we get so much shit. We tried to stop it, and like we can't figure out why we're getting all these returns. It, it, whatever, like it is." That's but he awesome. got this little tiny bench, and he was like, "He's been trying to figure out what it, what his what his thing is, mm-hmm. you know and." You know, and I guess that's what we're kind of talking today. What is the thing that everybody's doing? What are we doing on the internet? Right. And uh, he's like, "Oh, I got this bench," and he had a friend that was like, "Let's do an interview on the bench or something." So, yeah, it was fun, man. Running event was fun. It was more the same this year. That's all I'm gonna say. If y'all, I think we had an episode last year. I don't even know. We has did it have been an episode. A year? It has. We've been at this for over a year now. Yeah, yes. I think last year I reported that there's nothing much new. Yes, and. It's all the same stuff. Everybody's same walking around acting like everything's the newest thing ever. And it's just, there's just more, you know, high stack shoes this year yeah. per pair than there was last year. And your brother came along, right? He yeah, got he went for a, a day. Bit. That was a huge takeaway. Yeah. You know, my brother is, um, I do have one business partner. It's my brother and he's got his own day job and everything. So he's, he spends, you know, some time thinking about how to help me with a tray from time to time. We have a call, usually a week, every week. We try and get a, a call in, talk about life and business and stuff like he's that. He's been a pretty, I mean, outside of being your brother, mm-hmm. he's been a really important mentor for you throughout this process. Agreed. Because you've mentioned him on this podcast, but also in our conversations off, off mic, we've talked about him a good bit. Yeah, he's, you know, he's almost 10 years older than me, so... That was a big influence on me. Like everything that was cool was what he was doing. And honestly, of all the mentors that I've ever had, he seems to be the most consistent. Mm. And it's not a, I don't think a mentorship should always just be a one-way street. It's a two-way street and it pushes and pulls. And, you you know, it's even though he's my brother, which is pretty foundational in the whole thing, but like at the same time, you know, it's it's a very unique situation I'm finding. Mm. I really don't think that um, I could have gotten luckier with somebody who's just like, first, he's super smart and super driven and probably on those two things more, way more than I am, you know, in so many regards. So like, but... He but he's also, not steeped in the culture, right? He's not he's, steeped he's in the new, culture. So noob. when he walked into the running yeah. event, I was like, I'm going to get you in and you're going to see Which, this. by the way, is no easy thing. <laughs> it wasn't an easy thing. <laughs> Believe me. Let me, let me just ask a question. Was Carosa involved? <laughs> no, no, okay. Carosa wasn't involved. But I, I want to give a shout out to... Um, our friends at yeah, never mind. I'm gonna get blacklisted from that event, guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> guaranteed. Like they're not gonna let me in. They are. I they paid love, for my ticket. They love guys like you because yeah. you continue to show that that event 
is uh, salt of the earth a real valuable thing to get into because their ticket prices are insane and they've gone up every year oh, and yeah. i pay i paid for my brothers i'm yes. just gonna say that yeah. so yeah. um but my pass but was even the getting industry him in the, professional pass. But even getting like, him in is, is it's just a challenge. All I the know. Way around, yeah, so. it's. I think it's kind of it's kind of wacko. I think I even told. I, I think I mentioned on the phone uh, to to one of the, you know, they just have sales reps like everybody else, and I was like, man, give me a ten by ten booth <laughs> and four tickets, and I'll put together a bluegrass band. And we'll just play music and That's we'll take awesome. requests and we'll have a lot of good times. Like, it'll be badass. And it would be. We can set up a coffee station mm -hmm. and everything. They were just not having it. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, man. Y'all can make this event so much so And much you don't even fun. need amplification. So it's really... Exactly. You don't need shit. Right? I'll even put... You know, I'll even bring sound treating equipment yeah. for it. So it's like... <laughs> but, you know, they're... You yeah. gotta, you gotta stick by the book. Yeah, that's they're not, uh, they're not keep going material. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> Very by the book. Everybody there is. By what was the his book. takeaway though, or what did he, what did he glean from it? Did he get a, a better understanding of the struggles that you're going through, or recognize anything? Well, of, because you know, you're, because you're a, a little big deal in the in the running world. That's right? what he he never he never really. You're a big little deal or a little big deal. I don't know which. You're kind of on the cusp there, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, like we walk in. And, and the, instantly, there was uh, a crew from Guatemala at a running store. They're like, oh my goodness, it's it's Michael. Like, can can we take your picture? And they gave the phone to my brother, and they were like, can you take our picture? And he's like, what what the shit just happened this here? Is my little brother. Like, yeah, what's he was like, what are you? What's going on here? I'm like, Gabe, it's not all you know, email and optimization. Like, it's not just advertising. Like, this is. Like this we, is how we make an impression. We, like, this is how our industry actually works. Yeah, yeah. It's like that we're making a big impression and can't walk 10 feet in that room without somebody stopping me and being like, what are you up to? What's going on? Like, you know, something like that. So his takeaway was like, oh, we're running on a different type of fuel than I thought we were running on. Mm. And, and at the end of that, I've been trying to explain to him, I was like, look, we can go one of two routes. We can go raise raise money buy advertising do the thing hope that it sells products and i was like I'm, I'm gonna be straight with you i'm not into that world that's not me i'm just a folk singer you know i'm not i really don't i don't love that idea but i'm not like taking it off the table but what's more important to that to me right now is like this mission that i'm on and you know my youtube channel filming messaging understanding kind of to me i got into this because i'm trying to figure out what we call the practice of running is very large and if our goals and or whatever is nested within that practice then the conversation is clearly much bigger mm -hmm. but the industry seems to be very myopic on like very little important things but just not in the totality of the practice and I'm like my mission has always been to talk about running in this way do I know how to do it no am I getting closer to it yes mm. and I was like this isn't a problem this is a pursuit and so you know that's that's where where I'm like that's what I need to be doing and when he saw kind of people coming up and what was interesting to him he was like other brands so like met some folks at Mizuno and they're like, oh my God, we talk about a tray you all the time. Very elegant product. You know, we got a guy in the office that's just like in love with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm a big fan too. And he was like, wait, the end, like he was like, 
to him, he was like, the enemy is like, wants to be friends. I'm like, yeah, they all want to be friends because we don't put up that kind of, we're not playing in that game. And he was like, that's very unique. It is. So, and I told him, I was like, you know, I I say this very lightly. I was like, I don't want to be, I'm not going to compare myself to Anthony Bourdain. I never will. You know, he's, he, he has the crown. Like he's, he's the best of the best, but he traveled the world trying to find the meaning of life through the aperture of culinary food. Yeah. You know, arts, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, I see myself as a reporter seeing it through the lens of running. And that's what I'm going to do. And he's like, go hard on that. He's like, you're not going hard enough. You need to turn that up. Forget all the stuff. Just focus on that. And after that event, it was very important because he's like, everything we see in this room is not important. It's it's only important if you're looking at the product itself. Yeah. But it's so much bigger than that. He was like, you can come in through a different door. You could talk about different things. And if you can manage to do that, then that's I mean, the goal. It's a small, It's it. the pie is pretty small. You know, distance running, the running shoe industry, uh, all the things around running sh- running industry, distance running industry, is a relatively small pie in comparison to other endeavors. You know, what, what does REI do? REI has a whole lot of other things going on in that store that are that are not running related. They're hiking related, kayaking, mountain biking, you know, <laughs> yeah. the apparel, the all these other things. But it's like the it's like a, a marketplace of active gear. But you know, that's, right, but that the, the what I'm trying to say here is that this idea around running being a small pie there's still a shit ton of money in that pie <laughs> like, there's so much there's money so in that much pie money in but that what's pie. so interesting to me and everybody's focused right now on like like a like one part of the pie right and they think that that part of the pie is like the whole pie they're looking at the cherry and, what, and there's a whole there's, the, there's, a whole there's bunch so more. much more shit in the pie and like, mizuno's mizuno's point to you in that conversation was they who are being forced. Mizuno is super interesting too because of their sort of walking, they're, they're traipsing lightly on this plated shoe yeah, 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 world, sure. right? So they're seeing you as a role model or at least as a mo- not, role model may be too strong, but they're seeing you as someone who's taken a path less traveled. and you, But yet that path to me is the path that most runners many runners are looking for as we've said over the over and over and over again whether on mic or off mic people are looking for this whether they know it or not because the culture is so toxic is so focused on pursuit is so focused on this minor idea of maximizing performance on one race day that they're failing to recognize all of the other things that are going on with running and it is primarily as we saying i'm sure our listeners are sick and tired of us talking about the practice but that it, there's much more to it and the fact that you're you've got a yeah yeah you've got like a lean to in this space right but it keeps you dry mm-hmm. it allows you to keep living the way you want to live and eventually you're going to be able to turn that into whatever you need to turn it into and the fact that your brother sees it makes my heart sing it, was, it makes me so happy it was to hear very that. very special because, because i know for your brother you're mm-hmm. you've listened to your brother so much and many of the things i'm trying to tell you or discuss with you or or try to get you to lean into are these aspects that are already part of your sort of nature what i see is your like your basic nature and 
your brother is trying to get you to be a successful businessman just because because he because he knows that's a metric that you're looking at something you want to do it's what you like to do but it really sometimes i feel you being pulled that direction when you know hey all the things that he wants for you can't happen the way you're doing it and for him to see that that's got to be so reaffirming and turning the lights on for you it's really cool super yeah he's because what the thing about the thing about my brother is that my interest is in their different interests you know like he he he's just a different businessman than me we have similar values you know and but he he's so intelligent that he can play the thing like a game Mm. i can't really play the thing like a game i don't like to take risks you know and stuff like that like i i'd like to be very it's just a whole different thing so it is it is nice to it is it was it was a really cool moment um well, in a well, really cool we, event, I think. Before we get off this topic too much, because even though we've got a main topic, this is gold, what we're talking about right here, okay? And I want to highlight something. Your wife and I, I coach Lena, Michael's mm-hmm. wife, we talk about you sometimes when you're not around. Oh, yeah. In the mornings. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Lena, you heard? You guys heard uh, the coffee machine in the back. Lena's yeah. just showed up and she's, uh, we're in a coffee house now. Anyway, one of the things that we were talking about, she mentioned your Anthony Bourdain comment, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's hubris to think of yourself as Anthony Bourdain because, again, this is a small pie. This is a small pie, right? And he was in a big pie. But the one thing that I I thought about when she brought that up, I I just kept thinking about it over and over again. I just want to reflect it back to you. The thing that made Anthony Bourdain so amazing was that he was an artist. That was it. And that's what you are. And I think that's And he what, wasn't like a poet in like a very he, it came off as poetic. But he wasn't a poet. He wasn't stoic about his poetry. Oh, oh he's know? a gonzo. Was, he's exactly. Gonzo. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I, I always saw him as an artist. Yeah. That's but what he, he did it through this particular medium. That's what we food. all do. See, this is the it's thing. It's all the same. Correct. And your brother sees it as a game mm-hmm. and you see it as an art form. Mm-hmm. So yep. those are very fundamentally different things. At the end of the day, when it all ends, and we're all, you know, sitting in our rocking chairs or getting ready to meet the maker or whatever it is that happens when we go, when mm-hmm. we go, uh, you'll probably see the big game in it, right? How much of a game it was. But as an artist, it's always going to be really hard for you not to take this shit really seriously. Agreed. And so like, that's you, your vision. Yeah, exactly. That's your beauty. That's the thing that makes you great. But you have to be wary because if it's not also got some game, if, it, if you, there's no game theory there, if there's no infinite game aspect to it. And remember, your brother's probably playing a finite game where you're thinking infinite game. And we can do a whole nother podcast episode on that. But you, as an artist, you can play the game if you view it as an infinite game, one that doesn't end. And that's all about the beauty. And that's what's so cool is like I was talking to folks like, Runner's Warehouse doesn't carry our shoes. Mm-hmm. Connor's a great guy. Yep. He's like he's basically the face yep. of Runner's Warehouse mm-hmm. and or Running Warehouse. Mm-hmm. And um, they're out of California. Yeah, they're the big, they, the big, the big boys on the online on the online yeah, market. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, look, you know, who gives a shit? Can I come up there? Can I see where you run? Can I interview you? Can I do the thing? He's like, yes. You know, I was like, I don't know where this thing is going to go. We don't, you know. Anyway, my job is not 
to talk about a trade you. My job is to talk with you and figure out what you're doing. He was like, 100%. You know, so I'm like, I guarantee you that one day I'm going to be running, you know, with him just to figure out what's going on. Because I like him. I, I, I like his style. He's he's super nice. You know, it's just, just like, who else who else can we go? It's just not to me. It's just not about the, it's just not about the commerce. Like I'm lucky to have a tree you to keep, keep my lights on, you know? And so you can be an artist. Ex- and, exactly. and just, just to be clear, I know that our listeners are also probably sick of me saying this, but your shoes are art form. You they are right. a unique, yeah, it's, they're a unique and very specific style of shoe that is not niche. Okay. It's a specific style, but it's not niche. In fact, that's what makes it so beautiful is it's the anti-niche shoe. Right. You cover all the bases. You've got all four of the things that are necessary for 90% of the distance running market. Mm -hmm. You've got a trail shoe. You've got a a road a, a road dog. You've got one one of the only tuning shoes on the market. You've got the tuning shoe. And yes, exactly. Well, and the tuning shoe used to be... There's an entire subpopulation, a sub sub subgenre of the running world that wants primarily a tuning shoe because that's and they what don't we, even know it because nobody offers or it. Or those of us who are older school, we know exactly what it yeah, is because exactly, that's what because we've y'all wanted. are running in we racing grew, flats because we grew up in them, and that's right. what we want. We want them more than ever. Yeah, then they're not mm-hmm. around anymore. That's why I love your shoes so much because it's like yeah. I get to roll in those things all day, every day. It's beautiful, you know. Yeah, it's, and you got your Pegasus, right? Like you've got your uh-huh. Pegasus, and the, it's like you just fit. You, you 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 tick all the boxes, you know. For old school guys like me, you don't have a racing flat. But you do now because the new racing flat is the is the it's kind of the thing. Right. You it's know, like it's, it's changed. The racing flat is now longer what it used to be, right? And your racing flat actually, when used appropriately with the other shoes, allows you to take advantage of those aspects that a plated shoe brings benefits for right Mm -hmm. without within a context of saying yeah but make sure you get out of that make sure you get back into your other shoes so your feet can move and stay strong and do other things like you you've okay we don't need to go over and over again this because this is is not an atreyu you add but right i just think this is why i've argued to you in the dark nights of your soul fall 2023 for michael was dark night of the soul. Yeah. I was with it with you, right? And you're coming through the other end, seeing that you're an artist and that you have a product that's unique and really valued by other people out there. And your way of selling that, the way of selling it is to just be Michael and do Michael things. And it's really fucking cool. <laughs> that's that to me that that's like where, where I've ended up. And, and I, I even told, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I just don't have, an interest right now in trying to figure anything else out otherwise or what's what we're going to need to do to compete with with them or it's just like I'm there's no reason to at this point like it's I've already created a system Mm. why it's it's it will the running system that I built will out will outweigh my potential to whatever maximum potential I have like it's already a good enough and the so shoes like, why am will I... outlast all their other shoes all these other shoes because these are this is not a long term there, there's no way that this plated phenomenon isn't a long term thing because ultimately they're going to need a new technology in order to continue to get the revenue to continue to give back to their shareholders in the way that they have to give back to their shareholders and start and start keep cranking the damn thing down right and, yeah and I know I know I have a suspicion of where it's going we can have an episode on that yeah. like what's going on with shoe design I I really think that that I know 
I know where this thing yeah, is. Yeah, well, going. let's let's um, save that for another day. Yeah. But to transition this to our main topic is we're right here at the cusp where we can make this little pivot. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that is so you struggled with all along was this concept or idea of selling out. Yeah, so I didn't start with it. I lost the for <laughs> some reason. Year one was like the the glory year of like I'm gonna do whatever I want to do with this. It's gonna be cool. It's like new love. It's just gonna be cool. <laughs> and exactly. And and then year two and three were oh just shit, a we got a series be of of. <laughs> of things that like made me literally resent everything about the running industry and then really challenged my integrity with like why I was even doing what I was doing. And I completely kind of, you know, yeah, I can just say that. Yeah, it's fine. So, but it was always there and I knew it was there, but I knew I had lost something. I was like, what what did I lose? About six months ago, we've been talking about the practice and I was like, I just had, I didn't have any words for it. I didn't have a definition for it. In the beginning, I did something and it was an emotion. And that emotion was very, very much um, along the lines of simulation of a perfect world. Running is kind of a, a daily practice. It brings quality and substance to our lives, like all that stuff. And And then slowly, slowly, there were just, cultural things that were poking holes in that and I was like what's going on I just completely lost it and then you gave me that podcast the other day uh, and the podcast was specifically about kind of like the Gen X subculture and uh, kind of world and what makes it different and about an hour into that podcast they were talking about selling yourself versus selling out and I was like oh my god like deep down inside it was like unearthed and 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 I'm going to have, I'm going to try and not step on my toes on this conversation because I don't want to offend anybody, but I do think that it's worth talking about and it's, and it is worth talking about like how I'm going to try and not be rude about it. Like I'm going to try and be uh, conscientious about like why, why the things are, why you get you know, a box of electrolytes and then all of a sudden you're on a plane with your fucking phone filming yourself in the mountains trying to <laughs> go to the highest bidder. You know what I mean? You don't even know the product. You don't know the people. You just want to be, you want you want to be a part of the biggest and best things so that you can get the likes and the follows and the things. And I was like, that culture is just rubbing me the wrong way. The influencer been, culture. Yeah, the yeah. influencer culture, the marketing culture, the 13 clicks until you buy culture, all that crap. It's just, it's gross. It's fucking gross and and I was like why are we living in this world what is going on and my question was add more clarity like wait a second I'm not asking why like what's the difference and so this podcast was like back in the day subcultures didn't necessarily it was uncool that would be considered selling out in the day the highest bidder was the sellout culture you didn't want to be in that thing you stayed with the you stayed with the indie label you exactly, didn't sign with the yeah. major label that was the main that was the that was the sort of subtext that went on in music especially that was the the subtext right exactly so but i think i think what i you know that to me that's the conversation like that to me was like we've got to talk about this because finally i realize why i have such uh impedance in the chain 
of building an ambassador program, doing all the things. Like, I'm like, man, if you I buy the shoes, you buy the shoes, you're on the team. Let's do the thing. Let's build the subculture. I don't like polished stuff. I don't want to go take great pictures. Like, I don't want to do this because it's all built to serve the idea that we're competing with the highest bidder. And culturally with business and, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people doing that. And then there's, it, it, to me, it's just been, it's hard to articulate and I'm like, but it made me so proud to have a brand that, that I do think is a true sub, I think, I think we have a chance to be a true subculture. And to me, that's like, in this world, that's that would be very difficult. That's almost like saying that we don't want to make money. That's basically what you're saying. We don't want to make money. We don't want to grow. We know that what we're doing is definitely going to be a lot harder because I don't go out and, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. But to me, there's this... There's... On the other side of that door, I do have faith that 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 this maybe there's something in the in the long term that I'll learn from it. Oh, you, you definitely know? will. You know, and and that's all there is. In and it's not like a pat yourself on the back. I really thought something was wrong with me. Like I thought something was wrong. Like you have this brand. Why are you not going out there and doing what other people are doing and asking people to tag you and you know like and subscribe, like all that stuff. Like because I don't care. Like, I don't care. If people like it, they will like it. That's it. Like, that's about the best that I can do. But I think that when I think about it, that's like running culture as well. Like, where are the subcultures in running? You know, why is trail running have such a die-hard fan base? It is a true subculture. It's not for the money. But we see the money entering into trail running. And we see you know, how that's causing impedance in the chain and a so lot I think of different it, things are going on. I think it might be really helpful right now to just sort of summarize three main points from this podcast. And I'll link this podcast in the show notes so that for anybody that wants to listen to it can. Um, it's on the Howl, Howl in the Wilderness channel. I can't remember the name of the guy who's the host, but he did an interview with Eric Davis, who's a, uh, he, he's, and, and the, the topic is about Gen X and they were talking about what made Gen X special and what made it different? And the three things that, that we're pulling apart, teasing apart in this conversation, Michael and I, that we're going to kind of play with and dance around, like the, sort of a triangle that we're going to dance within, is number one, a statement that Eric made about subcultures um, no longer being viable. That Somewhere in the late 90s, early aughts, uh, he got this idea from David Chapman. Um, I'll also link his content in there. I've been a follower of David Chapman for a long time. But basic, he argued... That sub, there's no longer subcultures. Subcultures are gone because of the way that the digital world works. Okay, And then they went into conversations about analog versus digital. The big difference in, in Gen X's culture versus millennial culture is this idea of the analog and the digital. And then we are going to bring it back to where they ended the conversation or part of the end of their conversation, though they ended in some really cool and interesting yeah. ways. We're not going to go into those. Yeah. Listen to it if you're interested. But then he talked about selling versus sellout. And these three, this triangle is sort of what we're act, working with. And the idea of subcultures, can we get them back or are they really gone? Some of that has to do with an analog versus digital game, which I think is what you've been doing a lot, even though we have to play on a digital 
sphere. You're trying to bring an analog vibe and an analog energy to a digital space. And I think that's really interesting to unpack and think about. So we can talk about subcultures. Can we get them back? We can talk about the idea of of analog versus digital in terms of what you're doing and what Atreyu is doing and what might be good for subcultures, how we might think about that and work with that. And then finally, selling versus sell out, um, which is where you really got poo lit up with this conversation. So how do you, do you want me to work through these, this triangle or do you feel like, because I don't think that we can actually just talk about selling and sell out without talking about the other two. I know it's, that's, yeah. that's where it's intricate, but, and I think that that that's where the conversation runs the risk of being convoluted, but I, I I think it's worth the attempt. I mean, there's also limitations in in speaking about limitations. He was citing like, yeah, it was a beautiful you part know of it. Yeah. the photocopier played such a huge role, or you know, the, the, a cool a thing budget, that I remember a like, budget that you had to go you into had a, a third generation studio. tape that was that was copied correct, and that third generation tape was the subculture it was the it was the collateral of the sub subculture because it had some hiss in it had some you well, know so it was like even it got even cooler the more it was printed and, and the more it got used it turned into something else it morphed and changed and the digital is just but now we have effects that recreate that so what i see these days is the manufacturing of cool using all the stuff right and it's like the coolest stuff is actually a recreation of what used to be cool and that's that, that's very, you know, there's circularity and things. They always come back. I get that shit. But, like, at the same time, you know, there there's something there in that trifecta of true limitations. And I, I think that, that that's where the conversation gets a little bit interesting for me is, <laughs> is why is, why is running seeming because it's an analog activity so this is where i wanted to come this, yeah and this is why trail running and this it's is even a more analog be because the data doesn't matter as much yeah. um because of the way it operates the, the whole vibe the whole cultural context of There's trail running has people. always been there we, are less people but the whole idea has always been that you just get to the finish line mm -hmm. and that's a culture still although it is moving more and more towards towards pursuit style there's no doubt that the trail running is a practice and it has always been a practice and i argue it will always be we may have this influx for 10 or 15 years of sort of pursuit elements to it and believe me those people i've been a trail runner since 1978 1977 mm -hmm. 1978 so and i pursued for vast majority of that time but when i got on the trail it was a different thing mm -hmm. when i got on the trail it was always a different thing. And I think that, that I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it's the most analog activity in running that there is. And uh, using this podcast episode that we listen to has the, as the vibe, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it is the one that has the strongest subculture. The it realest subculture. It definitely does. Because it doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. It gives no fucks for what you're selling or what you're not selling. Mm -hmm. It's cooler to run in a cotton t-shirt. You know, you even need people all the tech who fabrics, are techie, like, even people who are techie, yeah. bring their road tech to the trail, and then they get rid of it. Yeah, and it goes away, and it slides off of them. They begin to realize that their Garmin can't really track their activity. Yeah, because they went for a. It, they know that they feel body feels like they went for a twenty mile run, but the watch says it was like 
14 point yeah. three miles because the satellite couldn't track you through all your twists and turns and your yeah. all the way places mm -hmm. that you went it just couldn't track it all and so you end up going god this thing is fucking worthless it's not telling me all the information i wanted and then you're like oh i need it do i really need it and eventually you turn out running around with your like a like a knuckle dragger in the middle of the woods like an ape just being and that's why they're back continually going it went from the 100 to the 200 and now it's the 250 like everybody, they're just going to keep up in the game for uncharted territory. But they, they, I think the point is uncharted territory. There's no like status quo. There's no highest bidder. You know, it's 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 just it's a true expedition. Now, I do think for many people, there's a question of whether it will be lost. Okay, but I don't think it will, because I think that because I think that it's primal, mm -hmm. and that's the part that I've taken from trail running that I'm trying to pull into the road world to disregard your time is arbitrary disregard your time focus prime use it as a goal so you've triangulate you got an ability to stay you know limits to stay in a space that you know where you're doing because that gives you a better chance to be successful but ultimately you're out there just trying to do the very best you can on that day and that is what trail running is because no course, the only way you can actually, you can't even run the same course and get the same time because the conditions will change because it'll be muddy. It'll be the freezing cold or it'll be really, really hot. I ran Bandera five years, this Bandera 100K, 50K. I've run it a ton of times and every single time it's a different yeah, race. Yeah. It's on the same course, but it's a different race. Yeah. And uh, I think that this part is the thing that we're trying to drag forward drag into road running culture. road running culture and say hey road running culture started this way but it's gotten into the commodification and the commercialization and the and and it's and it's digitality it's that it's commerce it's the just selling gotten out, a little stale like in terms of of the of the commerce side and if by stale you mean plastic and not really organic not not really a beating heart it feels surface it feels not. It feels about the cool and about the newest. I guess the way that I'm saying it, maybe, maybe sales is the wrong word. It's just when I think about road running, I have to be very conscious that it's more than just showing up, do the workout to go get the goal. Like it's, I have to like re, I have to like physically displace myself back you have into to a analog. mindset. You have to analog. Yeah, it's like, remember when you were just running eight miles a day yep. just to try and get sun so that you could be tan and go get that girl you know it was like remember like, when you hammered on the track talking about that that day that you went onto the track and you met the coach from yeah, uh what McNeese yeah, or whatever McNeese, and he was like he was like, he was like no put a little rest in here yeah, <laughs> I love that exactly. story you tell yeah like, it's so good Brandon Gilroy is down like, in so McNeese you State. you just went out there analogued it and was like let's just get after this shit he's like no you could you could codify this a little bit you can actually have a better experience of it but that also sort of steals some of the analog quality of the experience. Well, that, that's what I'm talking about. Over time, the culture that the the natural progression of getting into running is to lose less of the of the analog feeling and implement more optimization. Correct. It is so easy to optimize, optimize and, want and to optimize. And the problem is, is that I tried. I'm naturally genetically inclined to optimize everything to where it can become problematic. And I'm constantly over-optimizing and losing kind of, you know, this is, this is the thing that I'm fully aware of is a kind of a problem 
with my worldview because my worldview is we should want less and just be, you know, like I, I really, I really do think that we can't take it with us when we die, like all that stuff. So you can't take your optimizations with you into the next life, whatever, you know, I am. So I'm trying to get away from all that stuff. It's a part of my worldview. So the, the irony is that it's so hard for me to kind of uncloak from the optimizations. And I think that road running has an uncanny ability, the way that the groups are structured, the way that the products are sold, the way that the races are bought, the way that the pricing goes. How much is the cost of racing gone up? Oh, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. come on with it. Like, we're talking about 250 bucks, you know, to run a marathon. Like, I get it, but like, come on. You know, know. It, it's going up every single year. Because it's a it's a space where it can. Yeah, know? and and the companies, you know, to make a successful race company, have to buy smaller races either get rid of them or charge more for them. Correct. We're seeing that happen all across the board. Oh, yeah. So even the culture, uh, even even like the commercial side of running is optimized, optimized, optimized. So I'm like, what's going on here? To me, that's where we kind of relay back to that would qualify when I was growing up, looking up to my brother, doing all the things. That would be a sellout thing. Mm-hmm. That, that it's a sellout. Yeah. You know, keep it, keep it open source. Keep it DIY. Keep it, keep, keep things. Those are like, very Gen X values. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and that's where I'm like, who do we have? Yeah. To me, it's, it's where we are. It's no problem. Like I said, like I'm being, like I'm, I'm also. I understand why people are raising the prices. I understand why they're doing it. People want to put food on the table. They want mm-hmm. to make bigger teams. Like they want to have more help. Like they don't want to be as stressed. Like they're just trying to seek comfort from discomfort. I get all that. I want to do the same thing. But at the same time, we're simultaneously g- getting rid of the open source subculture beauty. Except, except, let's say we've got Orchard Street Runners mm-hmm. who are doing crazy runs in the middle of new york city yeah for sure you've got take a st- uh what is it, take the bridge yeah. right you've got these other events that are happening that are a part of what they're doing there in my opinion is they're trying to create subcultures you've got the track club like we think about rose city up in yeah for sure they're trying I was to think about them most of this podcast yeah they're trying to create a subculture that basically says we are a supportive running group that want you want to optimize for your performances and do well they've got a great coach they just got Andrew Bumbleo is their coach, who was a you know ran at at, at uh, Georgetown, and he was in Schumacher's uh, Bowerman group, and he stopped being competitive, and he went into coaching, and he's coaching their group. It's so it's like, but they're also keeping it analog in the sense, and their digital presence on Instagram is really cool and interesting. But there's an analog vibe going on there. There's a subculture thing that they're trying to do, but it's and it's an, so subtle. It just it, it's subtle because. To me, the subculture, the way you pull that off seems to be, if I were to do it at home mm-hmm. here, it's an emotion. Mm-hmm. Like you have, you have to pull off that emotion. Now, it, it's on the surface, they look very similar. Things look the same. You can manufacture the look of a subculture these days. And yes. I think that's where it's interesting is, is in the podcast they were talking about there used to be a definitive rift between the subculture and the front line of the zeitgeist and things mm-hmm. that move things forward. Anti. Right. Mm-hmm. And now there's no 
opaque layer that sits in between. There's, there are the same things. So you can simulate a subculture for the sake of... But if that subculture's goal mm-hmm. is to generate revenue instead of generating good vibes, yeah, then it's a different thing. It's a 100% different thing. And I do believe that that is possible, but the toxicity that we find in our running culture is primarily because the people that are telling us, our heroes, whether they be athletes trying to run fast, they're trying to optimize, Mm -hmm. whether they're companies that are trying to uh, make quality products that make you fast, but underneath both those two is that one is an entertainment culture, right? Mm The elite athlete is, we need to realize this, they're not saving lives. Even Kipchoge, he's not saving lives. He's a fucking entertainer. Yeah. Pain and simple. So let's just keep that straight. Just like, but when we think of Led Zeppelin, okay, I'm going to jump to Led Zeppelin real quick. Mm -hmm. There's a band who was both trying to make, they were at that, that, right where everything exploded. They were the band that went from a small little Yardbirds band, right, that were playing blues songs, and then they turned into the stadium rockers that spawned Kiss and a whole bunch of other stadium rockers that went on after that. There's these these cusp spaces, right, where these where there's analog digital happening or this subculture thing happening, and then it goes, sells out, looks like it sells out. But what they're really doing is just staying in their zone and just going for it with everything they have. It just happens to be that it accrues enough interest, right? Like, you, the one thing about selling is that sell, and they make, and Eric makes this point, selling is not selling out because we do live in a corporate culture. We, you do have to make a living. I have to charge people for my coaching. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a scenario in which I didn't have to because I would, if, I, if there were a space where I could make, I don't want to make a living in another area. I don't want to go get a real job. But like I always say this, it would be so much greater if there were, if there was a place where I could be like a preacher where a church just supports you, right? And you can go off and each Sunday you come back and you preach and you tell the story that you need to tell. You're there to help shepherd the people that need help around their, their, their walk in their faith or in my case of coaching, like they're, help them get ready for their races and have a good experience of their running. But, but, the, but the fact is they're not actually, he's getting, the, that pastor is getting paid by this congregation, but not directly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in, a, in an indirect way. Whereas what I do, I have to actually get paid directly. It feels, but I have to sell. But how many people have told you to do the reels? A hundred times I can't do them. Do the thing. And I'm good at this okay, shit. Okay, <laughs> so what's the, what's the, exactly. I'm good at talking. There's I a reason, there's a reason oh, you're not doing reels to meet I'm, the Instagram algorithm. Because I'm a Gen X. Because I'm a Gen X. Because it's fucking lame. It's, like it's, it's, it's. The, the it's, idea, the reel itself. Okay, the reel itself is you're, not. You're literally, you're pander, you, you, uh, you're just, why is it so cool? to optimize to fucking meta <laughs> fuck meta they fucked everything up dude oh yeah straight up i'm sorry they hit like mark zuckberg i tip my hat you're an awesome dude like you created the cool like the biggest subculture in the world but it's gotten so big that it is it's screwed it's up. not a subculture it's, it's the culture and it's all digitized it's all digital and it's bullshit because they brought us in through facebook they brought us into communities they basically sold facebook sold this community was based on schools. But it separated people. It, it's a, creating it's cre- hate. It's creating all kinds of, it's creating separation. It's, so like, to me, it's like, 
I can tell you why I'm not optimizing my reels right now. <laughs> you know, like my thumbnails on YouTube. It's, it's I know like, that. And I know you pretty well, Michael. Like <sighs> you would really like to do that stuff. Like that's actually a creative art form that you would do well with. Just like I would do well because I like to talk. And somebody, if I get somebody in front of me to shoot it, mm-hmm. right, and then to edit it, it would be great. But all that work, and then I know at the end of the day, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to feel icky and gross because they make us feel icky and gross yes like you know what's it was the coolest thing ever instagram was so cool it was pictures just let it be pictures don't change the game you know create another game go do a reels game elsewhere just let tiktok have it tiktok is super fucking lame (laughs) like it's it it's really it's it's gross yeah it's gross like it Especially when you think about where where Instagram started. Like I was, I had one of the very, I mean, my name, my last name is my Instagram account. Like that's how old school, I've I've been there since mm -hmm. it started. Uh, One of the investors in Rogue, um, early investors in Rogue was hip on what was going on in the marketing world. And he's like, get on Instagram right away. And then of course, as soon as I get on it, I was coaching at UT at the time and all the girls that I coached, they were mm-hmm. like on it. And then they were like, coach. And then all the, they talk about this, the filters on Instagram were um, grungy, like looking like seventies film, like, like photos from the seventies and photos from the sixties. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, I agree with you, but I do think this, there's one thing I want to do before, because all this angst, all this mm-hmm. anger, all this frustration does us no good. If we can't turn it somewhere, if we yeah, can't agreed. move it into a space that says, how do we, how do we, um, well, there's irony. There's so much irony. So you this can pivot on an irony. Pivot. That's a so meta-modern pivot. I wouldn't have a tree without Instagram because Instagram was the thing that gave me yes. the ability to create the fugazi of my own subculture. Mm-hmm. So I owe... The, the irony is that we... This is the world we live in. Okay. It is, the you know, if you look at kind of you know the way that you know technology is traded and all that stuff like it's it's the whole thing so the pivot i do want to ask you one question though it's it's before we pivot yeah it's (laughs) what it's are you i can't well we can maybe we already discussed it i wanted to i wanted to say what does selling out look like to you in my days. in my world or in the world in the running world in general uh as a coach okay so um i don't know selling out to me um probably wouldn't be selling out right mm-hmm. it wouldn't be uh i wouldn't see any commercialization and or usage of of media, social media, or otherwise, uh, that would say to me, "Wow, that coach sold out." What, what I would say that the coach sold out is if they, and this is where I went through this process myself, and I had to step back. Scaling is selling out from a coaching perspective. So, trying to because scale, you lose that touch because you're you not going to be you lose your fundamental value of what a coach is. It's a which is a relationship. Yeah, yeah. So to me, and you see it sometimes. And I see it in online coaching and people ask me to raise my prices or they'll ask me to, my wife just asked me today, I told her, oh, I picked up five or six new people in my online group. And she's like, well, you're not going to be able to carry that load because I spend an hour every two weeks with my athletes. I'm like, well, we'll pivot, we'll adjust, we'll shift, but let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. If I can't service, then we'll figure something out. But ultimately, but I don't want to stop. 
this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I mean, I've been thinking about this lately about dropping the prices of my, of my coaching where I'm not, when I'm not in a one-to-one relationship with people, mm-hmm. because I do have people that I work with who I interface with through an online forum. And then, uh, that's the primary way I interface with them. But people don't want that. Like they don't really care for it and it doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I would, just, I don't need to go into my specific details, but what's more important is what looks like selling out looks like mm-hmm. is going for is scale. It, is it's it going selling, for scale yeah. because now you're missing the beating heart of what it means to be a coach, which is that it, you're, believe me, I can just tell you this. I don't care how fucking good your macro cycle is or how good your plan is. I don't care how many, how many, uh, how you how you decide to cut up your program, even if it's perfect. I mean, I think my macro cycle is as sexy and as almost as good as it is, and we still fail. People still don't get done what they need to get done. Why? Because it's not about the program; it's about the program's implementation, and that's what makes coaching so amazing. Bev Kearney, one of my mentors, who's the head coach at the University of Texas when I coached there, she used to say, "As a coach, we do not create or destroy; mm-hmm. we simply facilitate." or uh, harm. We, either, we can't create or destroy. We can either ma- you know, make something a little better or something a little worse, but we, we can't create or destroy. The athlete does that themselves. When you scale, it's a destruction. It's a destruction of the overall. And she didn't even mention that because that wouldn't even been in her concept because she's a true you know, it's, coach. It's not even about the people in, your, in the stable at that point. No. It's about the people outside of the stable and Correct. their view of what coaching is Correct. or what the relationship could be. Correct. To me, it's the diminishing of what a proper relationship could be. And that's where it's like, that's where I get so heated about like things is, is like, it's a, there's so much potential to diminish true relationships. And, and it, it I, I, you know, on the flip side of this, um, I really liked how they brought in Elon Musk to the conversation. Oh, the other podcast. Yeah, the other podcast. To. Lex Friedman's podcast with uh, Lex Friedman's podcast with Elon Musk were the two podcasts that Michael and I, I listened, listened to it to that day. day. And we I was both like, did. We both I did. I can't believe really we both weird. listened to it that day. And I was like, wait, what's the bridge between these two worlds? And what, you know, you know, what's interesting about Elon Musk is that I used to be kind of like, man, that guy's just a little bit out there. Like, I don't understand him. Like, I just kind of like, I was like, I don't know if I'm on Team Elon right now. But then I started reading into it, listening to the podcast, kind of learn about him. So interesting. He, There's no patent that they have that's not open source. Mm-hmm. He's Gen X. He's Gen X all the way. He's That's he, why he bought X was so, and changed Twitter to X because he saw what he thought was supposed to, what it was supposed to be, it was not doing. And he was working very hard to try to change it. I love his concept that he has, whatever he's doing with this, <laughs> what's, what's his new AI platform that he calls it, Grok? Yeah. I mean, it's based on Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's uh, thing of the galaxy. Yeah, Guide to the Galaxy. Guide, uh, that book is so cool. Yeah. And anyway, you're right. Like It's Elon, interesting that even if... He still wants to take us off-world, He's world, like the though. Led Zeppelin, though. <laughs> he wants to take us off-world, though. That that part I'm Which a little not kinda, on. Which is kind of... It is cool. It <laughs> is cool, but that allows... To me, that's a super slippery slope for allowing the destruction of our planet. Like, Well, to me, it's kind of like his our model, conversation. Are we the traditionalist and he's the expeditionary like are we trying right. to get back to values and he's exploring but but i do think that there's there is a commonality between the way he sees the world and the way that we see the world and i think that it's 
the relationship is the thing. The yeah. values and the relationship Which are is very subculture. strong. Yeah, that is the subculture. It's the emotion values. And, and, and that, that, that's me where things get really, I think these days we can feel it when things are disingenuous. I think we know when we're off the path. I know that I got off the path. But but just, just to double click here real quick, but social media obscures that. So that has to be an inner experience, a subjective inner experience that a person has. There's no coach at the helm of social media. It is an ungoverned Un- correct. situation. Correct. That's where I think that- Well, it, it is governed. It's governed by algorithm, which is trying to push the things that are surface. So it is coached. It's just coached by AI. <laughs> it's not coached right, by yeah. a human. It has no human touch. And I just want to, before we... It's where it gets, like, you we're looking for the positives here. We're back yeah, to... Yeah, like, but I'm like, not. I'm going to go to a negative because I just okay, want yeah, yeah. to hit one more negative. Mm-hmm. Influencers are not coaches. And any influencer who's coaching is not coaching. They're influencing. Because they're not telling you anything about you. Now, they may bring something to you that you then reflect on. But now you're self-coached. It's a different thing. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. So not that I have anything, I don't have a problem with influencers. I don't either. Some I have people, a problem like a lot, with a influencers who are coaching. And that, and it's not a problem for the influencer. It's a problem for the athlete. Just be wary. If you're a listener to this podcast and you're on Instagram and you're on these other TikTok and these other places. And you're getting everything you need. You think you need. You're not getting everything you need. You need to take as you can if you bring come back and reflect on that. If you spend time contemplating and working through it in an analog way, right? But mm-hmm. I may be wrong. And somebody can send me something that and I'd love for someone to send me somebody who's an influencer who's coaching and is working and it's it's like it's like going off like a house on fire and everybody's happy and everybody's performing great. But that fucking shit doesn't happen. But I would challenge that on top of that. If that person is talking about the big picture and not just the goal. Correct. Just talking about the goal, in my opinion, is a cop-out. Just talking about optimization is a cop-out. Talking about the bigger picture and letting people actually recenter in a world of disconnected, you know, kind of the digital ether is not, you're, you're actually doing more harm for humanity than there is bringing people down to earth, being present on the day, doing the thing. So there, like, if you can find that influencer, send it our way for sure. But also, another stipulation will be, I think that they need to be, they need to be implanting something on what you would consider the worldview stage as well. Yeah, uh, uh, they need. If we're talking about runners who are influencers, they need to recognize running is a path with heart. If they recognize that running is a path with heart, that lifts. That's it's the water that lifts all boats. It's it needs to be something generational, generating not not generations as in every fifteen years, but generating positivity, bringing bringing something generative to the picture rather than and and performance is not itself by itself generative. It actually anybody that's on a train as a coach, I've watched this. People who are on the train to run marathon after marathon after marathon they quickly move into a very dangerous place because there's no seasonality, there's no there's no organicness, there's no analog aspect to it. But yeah, I mean, we could go off on all kinds of tangents with this sucker. You mentioned that you had a an idea of a way to full circle this bad boy. Well, what where 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 was that? What was that? <laughs> it can was we, the an- we- it was the Anthony Bourdain thing. It was it was the fact that I now know what I'm working 
towards. And instead of a problem, it's a pursuit. So what was Anthony doing? So tell me what Anthony was doing that you feel will be a guiding, uh, will be a, would guide, help guide you on your journey. He wasn't the man. He was on a search for the thing. He was on a search. They sold him as a man, but that was not who we, he was. We enter into running. I would, if anybody's listening that, well, say for one example, I understand if your parents made you get into running and you were just good at it and you didn't like it and they told you you had to do it. Mm-hmm. I get that. Everybody else, the first time people go to Dick Sporting Goods or Academy and they buy a pair of running shoes, the thought that precedes that was you, if you I would say that every single runner that was in that position at the onset asked running to do something extraordinary for them, mm-hmm. not superficial. To help them change at some transformational level. They needed to level. change. They were longing for something. Mm-hmm. They needed purpose. They needed health. They needed, they needed something that wasn't a superficial ask. And so if we come into something asking something extraordinary and then we we aren't listening to what it's giving back that's to me is the biggest miss it, it it's like so i guess i guess what i'm reminded of is that i asked running something very important i wanted to be i was you know depressed and angry I was sober, depressed, and angry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, I'd just given up maybe the only thing that gave me joy, which was getting fucked up every night. And I could get away from the world. And so about two or three months in, to my sobriety, I was like, you know what? This is the worst. <laughs> Straight so up. True. This it's is so the worst true. thing. Why did I give up the only thing that made sense? And then I asked running one night to give me something that I didn't have. And that was the physical part of everything. Mm -hmm. And since then, my life has been completely different ever since that moment. And, you know, I, I just, to me, that's not a superficial conversation. And it's not a conversation that is easily articulated and it's not something that um, I know how to talk about. And the way that I see Anthony Bourdain was that he was on that same mission. He didn't understand life. He didn't understand why pain, why happiness, why beauty, and why destruction. And so he went out looking for it. And I commend that because there was no thing at the end of that for, for him. And it was a very sad ending. You know, yeah. it was very sad but he gave his life trying to figure that out. And we're talking about running. It's low stakes, but it's high ask. And I was like, you know what? And great return. There's far too people and brands and things talking about the thing that mentally challenges people, you know, that, that, that mentally stimulates people. That we, I honestly think that a lot of the conversation around what we're doing is threatening to that original question. Mm. And I don't I don't want people to forget that. I think that 
If you're on Team Elon and you want to go explore space, that's cool. If you want to stay on Earth and double down on values and be a little bit classic, that's cool too. Um, I'm not in right or wrong land saying like that, but I think that if running is a way to explore that, and again, I just realized I don't have the answers. And as somebody who does it full-time every single day and has dedicated my life to it, I just need to get honest about that is is that my purpose is to keep going keep pulling that thread and I don't like to me it has about maybe 10% to do with the shoes you know in the business but the business is a vehicle to explore that that conversation so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm going to turn myself in to a reporter, a journalist, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to figure it out. I might not ever figure it out, but to that that to me is worth is worth doing. You're going to Anthony Bourdain that shit. Mhm. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean that was that's kind of my full circle and it kind of takes so much of the pressure. I've been sleeping better, you know, um I'm thinking about, I told you the other day that my ultimate goal is to get back to be a hobby runner. I know exactly what that means now. It's not a hobby runner. It's, it's a runner who is focused on making sure that I'm reflecting on that original conversation that I had with the gods of running to give me something great. Like, I just want to make sure that I don't lose that. And my goal of being, you know, a participant in Kona Ironman and shit like that has nothing to do with it. I mean, that is simply just a device to get me going to my next workout, you know, but that particular workout, it's a balancing act. You know, I, I, th- I think that's why we struggle with getting up and doing a workout, but why the workout pays off after. So I, I don't know. It's it, to me, there's something very, very, very important here. Um, but that was that was my that was my takeaway, you know. And I'll say it: if anybody's listening, that's awesome. <laughs> it, but this this podcast is the thing that helps keep me grounded and all the other stuff. We don't make money from this podcast, you know. It's I give up, you know. If there's only five work days and it takes it's a morning, prime, you know, prime, it's prime hours of your day. It's prime yes. hours of the day, and I think that. It could be a podcast, it could be something else, but I need to spend time. This podcast serves as that for me, and it's a reminder of, uh, to, it's the thing that keeps me going, making sure that I'm thinking about the real, the real things that I need to be thinking about. And actually, it, you, there was a moment in there where I was like, man, you know, do I have time for the podcast? And then I realized it's the only thing that's helping me decide where to go. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's a major, you know, my brother helps me decide where to go. He supports me. He defaults to all of my stuff. And, you know, and and that's a beautiful thing. But like, this is the place where I where I really put on the gloves and try and figure it out. And over time... That's because you're doing it for an audience. 
You're having a conversation with me and it creates a safe space, Mm -hmm. but you know it's going out to the world. And that makes your sphincter pucker a little bit. It does, but like three (laughs) episodes that we recorded ago, you were like, don't think about the audience. Yeah. Like, okay, so just talk. But you know you're talking to someone, not just me. We're, 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 we are preaching in some sense, mm-hmm. right? We are, in a sense, saying, hey, we have a point of view. And we I'm know continually bringing myself back to just have a conversation. Correct. For the audience. Correct. Not try and sell myself. That's what Anthony Bourdain was audience. doing with his exactly. show. Like, he was saying, I'm going to, I'm going to Vietnam mm-hmm. and I want to check out this crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And of course, the whatever TV show was TNT or whoever it was he was doing it for. I don't remember who he was doing it for, but they were like, we can sell this shit like crazy. And they yeah. did. And I think in the end, well, who knows what the what brought the end and how mm-hmm. the end played. But my bet is there's some level of sell out there that that had an impact on him and his choice about whether to stay on this planet or not and, and see it through. Right. And I wish he I wish we could continue to provide ways of seeing our. Uh, passions, not as as to to reconcile, and he's a definitely was a Gen Xer, right? So, oh, hundred so percent. He's we, kind of like the ultimate spokesman for that. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, he had cynicism, he had humor, he had irony, he had he rode hard, rode rode life hard, mm-hmm. and got put up wet, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I feel like we we really. We nailed this one. We got we got down into it. We 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 didn't know exactly why we were going to do it. We used a one podcast as a model, and then we you know as our conversations do, we just wander all over everywhere. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Anything else you want to share? I don't think so. Um. I think I'm pretty good with all that, man. I <laughs> I I've just got to. I just maybe maybe I'll just say I dedicate whatever you know to to the idea that people like anthony bourdain can inspire people like me to kind of figure keep figuring out what the meaning is behind it all and and you know i you know i'm probably going to leave this conversation saying the challenging my own views like what is bad about everything going on right now? Is it, you know, all that stuff? But, like, I don't think it's the point. I think that words and the way we communicate is, it's important. But if we were to take an inventory of how people are feeling across the world, maybe just in, like just take the 54-ish million runners in the U.S., I would like to poll people and say, how do you feel about it? Uh, and and I would say that there's probably room for improvement on on asking people if they are leaning on running as a guide or trying to use running as a tool. Uh, I think I think that it's very I think that if you are one of the people that asked running to do something great for you, you should treat it like a teacher mm. and and give it reverence as a coach as, as some type of like the lord of you know the a guru realm, a guru yeah mm. and uh i I, th- I think that i think that it would be that it would be sad if we've graduated into thinking that we know everything about it and and instead 
ask it to just continually give us something to learn. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks for listening, folks. Godspeed. Until next time.